0: I'm your host, Stephen Gutteridge, and welcome to Mid-South Moments. So firstly, this week, there's been a devastating scandal in the offices of Mid-South Moments. Episode 226, which originally aired sometime between January the 5th and January the 7th, 1984. I understand this is dependent on what market it aired. Um, The WWE Network usually has the later date, but the YouTube versions are always the earlier one. Um, This episode, 226, is missing. It's gone. It cannot be found anywhere on planet Earth. Um, I understand that there's three episodes that have met the same fate from 1982. Um, It's not on YouTube, not on WWE Network, not on Daily Motion. It is gone, never to be seen. And unfortunately, there's some real gems on this missing episode. Ted DiBiase beat Bruno Sammartino Jr., aka David Sammartino. Mr Wrestling 2 beat Gino Hernandez, and I'm really gutted not to have seen him in action in Mid-South. Matt Bourne, the future Doink the Clown, beat Buddy Landell. And the hits keep on coming as The Great Kabuki beat Tim Horner, Kamala over Art Cruz, no relation to Apollo Cruz I believe, Dick Murdoch beat Marty Lund, and in the main event Steve Williams beat Tom Ronesto Jr. So we move on to what we can see and what is available, the January 14th 1984 episode of Mid-South Wrestling. And thankfully this episode is on YouTube as well as the WWE Network, so the YouTube version has all of the theme shoes intact. So we join Jim Ross and Cowboy Bill Watts. There's no Boyd Pierce this week and sadly no Boyd Pierce Fashionometer. So we have Steve Williams and Crusher D'Arso coming up on this episode. And Watts informs us that Williams has been very outspoken about Russians and Russian sympathisers. They cut back to the missing episode where it shows D'Arso and Volkov challenging Duggan and And um, Watts informed us before this clip that neither of those men that were challenged were dressed for action. But ultimately the Russians were surprised when first out comes the debuting Terry Taylor and he is disgusted with Darso, who has turned his back on his country and his people. Darso says Taylor is just a skinny guy and Volkov is going to send that tan right back to her. Volkov attacks Taylor before Taylor fights back and an impromptu match is on. Volkov goes for his brutal and often botched part gorilla press into backbreaker finisher early but Taylor escapes. After a couple more exchanges, the future Red Rooster catches Volkov out of the corner in a roll-up and the crowd in Shreveport erupts as a three-count is counted. This is by far the biggest reaction of anything I've seen in the now 10 episodes I've covered so far. The crowd is just going ballistic. Darso tries to attack Taylor after the bell but is hit with a great-looking dropkick as the crowd continues celebrating. Um, and Watts says that Taylor has shocked the fans and shocked the Russians. Um, So back to this week's episode, we now have another Terry Taylor match. He's up against Doug Vines. Taylor is wearing an excellent 80s tracksuit top. And Watts says that Taylor really appreciated the ovation the crowd gave him as they chant USA, USA. According to Watts, the Russians were left with egg on their faces last week. American egg. Taylor hits a lovely arm drag and then works over Vines' leg. There's a nice little exchange that follows. Taylor hits the ropes and then hits a flying forearm for the win in 142. Darso and Volkov charge the ring as soon as the bell comes and things are looking dicey for Taylor until Dugan and JYD come out for the save. Um, and the crowd was super hot for this whole segment. JYD and Hacksaw Jim Dugan next up versus Jeff Sword and Larry Higgins. JYD and Duggan are out to another one bites the dust and the crowd again are in great voice. Ross speculates that Duggan may not be his absolute favourite tag partner, that's JYD's tag partner, but he's certainly one of them. I mean, I wonder how Duggan feels being specula- speculated about and not being JYD's favourite partner. I'd imagine hurt. Duggan hits a huge slam on Higgins, followed by a stiff-looking knee job, and after Larry makes his feet, he hits him with a really stiff-looking big right cross. Ross talks about the progress that Magnum TA has made under the tutelage of Mr Wrestling 2, What says that King Carl Fergie has now become a referee following the good job he did in the tag team title match a couple of weeks ago in New Orleans. Um, It's a little odd that the commentators are not focusing on the match here, given that the top star and champion of the promotion is in there. Um, There's not much to this one. Um, Dugan wins what they call a spear, but it looks a bit more like a flying slap, a double slap actually, to be fair, um, in 2.54. Darso and Volkov attack the face immediately bell. However, JYD and Duggan quickly take over and run them out of the ring. Um, It's not been a stellar night for the Russian combo so far. And what says, I tell you, Russia is in for a lot of trouble at the hands of these two. So next up, we have our reigning tag team champions, Mr Wrestling 2 and Magnetier. And they are up against Paul Garner and Don Ralston in a non-title match. What says that 2 told him that he would never have put his mask up if he didn't have the complete confidence in Magnum TA and their ability to win the tag team titles. Before the match can really get going, Jim Cornette enters the ring and calls to the mic. He says that the champions are chickens for not defending against the Midnight Express. The Midnight Express then run in and attack the tag champions. Mr Wrestling 2 is hit over the head with something and completely KO'd and then Magnum is hit with their devastating finish. They hold Magnum TA down while Jim Cornette covers him in tar and then feathers him in a scene you have to see to believe eventually Rick Rude George Weingroff and Steve Williams make the save and Magnum is absolutely covered in feathers here and you really got a feel for him the combination of stickiness of that tar i imagine felt completely rank and those bloody feathers I mean, what if he had an allergy? What if he needs a pillowcase at night that doesn't have real feathers in it to sleep without sneezing? You know, allergies are a serious, serious thing, a serious problem. And these are truly horrible actions by Cornet and his men. After the break, the Midnight Express are in action against Lanny Poffo, who had a great showcase match a couple of weeks ago, and George Weingroff. Cornet calls Magnum TA the Mid-South Chicken, before the Express come out to their great theme, which 36 years later is used for the opening of this very podcast, Watt says the ring crew couldn't even get all of the sticky substance out of the ring. Uh, Ross says that Cornet has stepped out of the bounds of those terrible actions earlier on. Ross says the Express shouldn't look past the team of Puffo and Winegraph um, and Magnum Tasi. TA these four have to be right up there with the top works in the promotion at the time. Uh, The ring floor is actually disgustingly still covered in feathers um, and they really needed a significant broom to clean up that mess. Um, This match is built like it's going to be a decent length at the start with some good exchange and quick tags between the Express. What says the crowd is chanting "Mama's Boy at Cornette. Eaton hits a great Davy Boy Smith style power slam on Poffo um, who's been in most of the match so far. Weinkoff eventually makes it in for the comeback and with some body shots on both members of the Express. This doesn't last long. Um, and Eaton and Condry take over again, and Weingraf gets caught in their deadly finisher in six minutes for the win. At ringside, Watts interviews Mr. Wrestling Two and Magnum TA, and he says he's been in the tw- Watts says he's been in the business for twenty years and he's never seen anything like it. So Mr. Wrestling Two says they pulled a trick this time, but there's going to be some plucking around here, and they're going to pluck them until they can't be plucked no more. Magnum TA, sounding solemn, says, "Some of you may find some humor in this." but this is the most degrading and humiliating thing anyone could have done to me. This is not the end of this. If you wanted my attention, you've got Magnum TA's attention. And now you've got my attention, let's see what you're going to do about it. I didn't do that. Not even 1% of justice. That was an absolutely fantastic promo from TA. Perfectly pitched at the start and then superb fire without shouting. Um, clear that this guy is an absolute superstar. Um, next up, we have Jim Knightheart versus Tom Lentz. Nightheart goes straight straight for Lentz at the bell. There's huge shoulder blocks into the corner and stiff-looking kicks. Watt says that when tag team partners break up, it's like a marriage split. It's really rough. Well, I guess marriage splits are rough, dependent on who you're married to. Um, They are putting Nightheart's power over on commentary, and they defend his slightly rotund midriff and say that he does actually really train hard, and he looks exactly the same when he was playing in the NFL. Nighthawk hits his always good-looking full-away slam for the win in 152. And then next up, we have the grudge match of Dr. Death Steve Williams versus Chakras of Darso. Williams goes straight for Darso at the bell. Watts says that Williams can't stand Russians and he loves the United States. Williams hits two big body slams early. Watts says he wasn't known for finesse at college, but he, is, he was known for his frosty. That's obviously Williams. Um, and Watts also says that Russians think Americans are the bad guys, but Americans know that Russians are. D'Arso takes over slamming Williams' head into the corner and raking his eyes on the top rope. D'Arso grinds Williams down with a headlock while the commentary team recapped the incident earlier with Magnum T A and the tile and the Feathers. The crowd is chanting Go Steve Go according to Watts. The headlock continues with D'Arso using Williams' hair for leverage. Uh, Williams eventually breaks out, and breaks out temporarily but, gu- but D'Arso gets him with a knee to the stomach. D'Arso then misses a big elbow off the ropes and this gives Williams a chance to take over. Williams adopts a 3-point stance and hits a couple of body checks. Darso then heads to the floor and out comes Volkov, Watt speculates that he had something under his shirt and he passes it on to Darso. Darso then smashes Williams over what over the head with whatever he had from Volkov for the win in 5:19 and um, Darso hides what he, what it was in his hand from the referee and then exits with Nikolai. Um a shame again Williams seems to be a bit of a style of the promotion but doesn't seem to be getting any really real big wins at all um, and though obviously there was some interference in this one um, he I don't know perhaps they could, this could have been done a slightly different way to keep him a bit stronger last up with television time remaining we have one half of the former tag team champions Butch Reed versus 25 year old Rick Rude still spelling his surname with two O's at this point Rude looks absolutely shredded but he's not quite as big yet as he would be in his WF run Reed is ginormous, and he's sporting some Macho Man like red thread tights with white stars. Reed is largely in control in the early going until Reed fights back and hurls Reed onto the turnbuckle. And Watt speculates that Reed must have slipped on the remaining feathers in the ring. Watt says that the best chiropractor in the world said that most men couldn't walk on the damaged knee that Reed has. It's interesting that both Nightheart and Reed have been put over somewhat by the commentators as faces with no clear direction. No who is going face and who is going here. I suppose it po- it's poss- possible that both are going face, but that's unlikely and unusual um, when it comes to tag team partners splitting up. So it's possible that actually at this point they're waiting to see um, how crowd reactions would go um, and who would naturally become the more baby face one of the pairing. Um, Reed catches Rude in a front face slot with one minute of TV time remaining. Um, and nearly at the bell, Reed brutally hurls Rude neck first into the top rope. He then hits his gorilla press for the win in 4.51 and then Ross and Watts sign off immediately after the three count. So moving on now to the January 21st 1984 episode. Uh, The first thing I cannot take my eyes off is Bill Watts' eye-catching and truly fetching red turtleneck. Um, So he's wearing this underneath a white shirt and black blazer. So I'm guessing it was pretty cold in Shreveport in January 1984. Boyd is looking marvellous in a purple suit and tie and with what I believe is a lavender shirt. So I would give that an eight out of 10 on the Boyd Pierce fashionometer. So from there, Watts runs through what is coming up this week. We have Nikolai Volkoff um, in a challenge to Terry Taylor after the embarrassment of two weeks ago. And Buddy Landell is here along with Rick Rude. Watts says he's flabbergasted by the arrogance and audacity of Jim Cornette and they cut to an earlier interview. Watts says he's seen the antics of Skandar Akbar but he was a good athlete in his own right, and the same for Gary Hart. Cornette, he says, is the first non-athlete he's ever seen who is arrogant, audacious, flamboyant, and a mother's boy who brags about using his mother's capital to accomplish what he wants. Cornette says, why should he work for something when he can just call his mother and she'll buy it for him? Watts asked about them interrupting an interview with the tag team champions, and they cut back to what I believe comes from the lost episode, as I've not seen this previously. Cornette says that Mr. Wrestling 2 has taken Magnum T.A. from a frustrated sex symbol into a chicken. Quite a a change, that. Magnum T.A. says that Cornette would be very at home in a hen house. And 2 says that he would probably be in the role of warming the eggs. I think that means that Mr. Wrestling 2 was calling Jim Cornette a woman. Terrible. Back to Watts, and he says he didn't realise that when Cornette was talking about them being chickens that he would take such drastic action. Cornette protests that he warned them. Well, he really didn't as such. They go back to clips of the last episode and show the whole thing again. Back to Cornette and Watts and Jim is laughing and making chicken noises while holding a classic racket, which is classic Jim Cornette. Cornette says he only cares about what affects him and his men in the Midnight Express. They show T.A. covered in feathers and Cornette says that must be the funniest thing he's seen in a week or two and it is the greatest thing he's ever done. A masterpiece. Cornette is brilliant and unlikable here and you can tell why he had absolute nuclear heat around this time. Watt says that Cornette may have lit something he cannot put out. They show Magnum superb promo again after the incident, and back to Cornette, and he says, up to now, they've been playing around, but now it's time to get serious, and if they don't get a title match, they're going to do something that TA and 2 will regret. Watt says that Cornette will get something he deserves, and that he and and the Midnight Express have been hit with the biggest fine in Mid-South history, and that is $5,000. Cornette retorts, I'm sure you've bankrupted many people in Mid-South, but do you know what $5,000 is for me, Bill Watts? It's just a quick call home to mother. After Cornette walks off laughing, an irate Bill Watts says he's at a loss for words and he's the sort of guy when your hands get itchy and you just want to backhand him. This was great stuff from both men and it's just building this feud excellently. Jim Ross is our ring this week and is due to be Terry Taylor versus Nikolai Volkov. However, he announces that Crusher Darso is here instead. Darso says that Volkov has hurt his shoulder... And again, that he is going to send that tan of Taylors back to Florida. I'm not quite sure what Darso has against enjoying the sun. Seems a bit mean. Darso attacks Taylor there, and there is no bell, though I presume the match is on. Darso is in control in the early going with aggressive and good-looking offense. Taylor takes back over with a really good-looking drop kick and some punches before hitting a decent-looking flying-back elbow. Watts is putting over Taylor on commentary and mentions that he was an amateur wrestling champion in Florida. Taylor gets Darso in an abdominal stretch before Volkov hits the ring for the DQ in 142. Volkov has a rope and starts to choke and hang Taylor before he reverses out of it and then starts hammering away on a fallen Volkov. Eventually, Darso gets back in there and they hang Taylor over the top rope, albeit thankfully his feet are on the floor. Rick Rude then hits the ring for the save. Um, they weren't in there for more than a minute or so, but Taylor and Darso actually look really, really good together here. Um, two of the better workers in Mid-South. And I've always, I've, everything I've seen of Darso, I've been really impressed with so far. Um, next up, we have the Midnight Express versus Roger Bond and Mike Jackson. Um, they cut to the commentary booth after the break, and Watts is missing and in his place are the tag team champions. Boyd says that they can comment on the action, but they must not interfere. And if they do so, there'll be a $2,500 fine. TA says that he wants to get his hands on the express, but he's going to try and stay professional because that's the right thing to do. What a hero. Cornette in ring grabs the mic and says, Oh, look what we have here TA and two. Two is the one with the crooked mask, and TA is the one that has recently been plucked. Cornette is trying to goad them into attacking, and it shows two holding TA back at the commentary desk. Cornette has a brown paper bag in his hand, but he doesn't reveal the contents before Dennis Conjury and beautiful Bobby Eaton hit the ring to their excellent theme tune, which you'll have heard at the start of this week's episode. They're both sporting great-looking robes, albeit a golden orange choice, do clash a little. Perhaps they should have thought about that a little bit more before they made those decisions. Boyd says that he appreciates both men are sitting there through that goading from Cornette. And two says that TA got his composure back, which was appreciated by two. Two also says it's only a matter of time and he's still got a knot in the back of his head from the shot he took with an unidentified object last week. And then as if by magic, T.A. and Two briefly appear in the top left-hand corner of the screen in technology that I imagine was pretty revolutionary in early 1984. Um, The match is very much showcased for the Express um, with no real offence from their opponents. Eaton hits a great knee drop off the ropes and Conjury follows with a power slam. Two says they don't want to lose $2,500, so to try not to worry about the little pipsqueak Jim Cornette walking around on the floor. Two says to remember that move when Condry hits another power slam, but this time off the ropes, which looked really, really great. Um, they, hint, they, they then hit their finisher and win the total squash match in 241. After the bell, they hit a brutal spike pile driver, um, and then Cornette opens the bag and starts pouring tar on their downed opponent. T.A. can't take any more, and in spite of Two's protestations, he hits the ring for the save and starts hammering away at both men. Two then joins him as they cut to commercials. After the break, they return to the desk, and Watt says that human emotion can only take so much, and that T.A. made every effort. And while it's going to cost him twenty five hundred dollars in fines, he doesn't think in the same position he could have sat and done nothing either. Next up is Nature Boy Buddy Landell versus Mike Starbuck who I understand enjoys a venti skinny cappuccino almost as much as I do. Buddy Lamb Dell is a total and complete Ric Flair ripoff here. His hair is styled in completely the same way, completely the same colour. Um, thanks to our good old friend Google, I understand the two actually feuded in late 1990 over the nickname before it was dropped after about three months in what would have been NWA, WCW really at the time. Um, both men here are wearing red trunks and red boots, which are a little jarring. Um, Landell has Starbuck in an odd-looking half-Nelson for a while before they separate. Um, Landell then catches Starbuck off the ropes to the backbreaker, slams him down, drops an elbow, and then pins him all in under a minute. Poor, poor, poor Mike Starbuck. Brian Adidas, as is pronounced by uh, Bill Watts, probably Adidas to any UK listeners, now up against... Actually, that's probably wrong, actually, because Brian Adidas has the right to... to for his name to be pronounced in the way that Brian Adidas chooses. So I'm going to keep to Brian Adidas. He's up against Mickey Henry. Watt says that Adidas was previously in Mid-South... ...and he's now toured the Northwest in California... ...and he's currently the television champion in Dallas. In two weeks, Mid-South are going to start their own television, taun- television championship tournament... ...but as this is an Olympic year, the winner is going to get a medal rather than a belt. The commentators veer away from the action and state that Rick Rude is in the next match, and then they're going to have a special video package on a new tag team. Watt says that all the ladies better get ready because these guys are dynamite. The Rock and Roll Express. Adidas has an excellent perm, but it's hard to tell whether those curls are natural or not from this vantage point. There's not a lot to this match, but Adidas does hit Henry with a great drop kick before trying to hit what I think was a victory roll or something similar, but both men unfortunately stumble into the ropes. They then get up and Adidas improvises with an inside cradle for the winning 248. Going back to Adidas's drop dropkick, I must say the standard of drop kicks in Mid-South is absolutely excellent. It's not something you see too much now. Okada's um, obviously springs to mind. Randy Orton's got a fantastic one as well. Um, but everyone, not everyone, but a lot of the guys in this promotion at the time seem to be able to hit a cracking looking dropkick. So last match of the show is Masao Aito versus Rick Rude. Watts is very unkind with his first comment saying that it's almost like beauty and the beast out there. I mean, that's pretty harsh on Masao. He may have a complex about his looks. So, Ito is in complete control at the start with lots of chops and kicks on Rude. Watts mentioned that Ito speaks no English at all. Ito hits a jumping kick, which didn't look so good. Um, and then Rude is then caught by the float, throat, and then re- the ref calls to the DQ in 159. Watts speculates that Rude has ruptured something in his throat as Ito holds onto this chokehold. Um, a couple of enhancement talent come out to the ring to try and help. Um, what says that Rude has been badly hurt here, as the bell frantically rings in the background. Um, that's something that is classic, sort of eighties and nineties WWF when there's a dastardly heel attack. Um, that, that bell is ringing. I'm not exactly sure what for, um, but it always added nicely to the drama. Ito eventually leaves, um, and after Rude's loss last week to Reed, my expectation going into this one was it was going to be a win for Rude, uh, but it was a total showcase for Ito. He looked a little bit iffy in some of his offense on occasion here. After the break, Watt says that he has no idea how they're going to deal with Ito. Uh, Next week, we have Brian Adidas and Hacksaw Jim Dugan versus Darso and Volkov. Plus, a surprise from Grizzly Smith. It's easy in negotiations for a match that he thinks we'll all enjoy. And now, set to Joan Jett's I Love Rock and Roll, is a video package on the Rock and Roll Express. So I'm just going to read this exactly as I typed it as I was watching this for the very first time. So this starts with both men at a jukebox before they look at the camera then looking smug leaning on a sports car, then close-ups of them nodding next to the jukebox, then lounging on the car before some shots of them in in-ring action. The car is a Trans Am I believe, could be wrong. Back to slightly menacing zoom-ins of them with the car. Now the car, mis- car itself is zoomed in on and the car is a Corvette, not a Trans Am, so I was wrong. They are shown walking into a building with matching t-shirts on, then going through a gate in another set of matching t-shirts, then back at the jukebox, then walking through a crowd, then, ki- then kissing people at ringside, now back, this time inside the car, and now driving off. Wow. Watts says there's a lot of excitement with the Rock and Roll Express. Boyd and Watts then recap the angle with 2 and TA, and they both get hot about how insulting Jim Cornette is. Watts says he wants to grab him by the neck and shake him. Boyd then bids us farewell until next time. These were two really solid episodes, and with the angle with Magnum TA particularly memorable, and his post feathering promo really fantastic. Cornet is hitting his stride also as the Dartley Hill and it's nice that what you expect will be the end split of TA and 2 has a little diversion on the way. Um, the Rock and Roll Express video was absolutely fantastic in an it's so bad kind of way but to be fair I'm sure this was viewed in a, with an entirely different lens back in 1984. Thank you very much for listening If you've enjoyed the podcast, please do subscribe on iTunes and leave perhaps a five-star review. That would be lovely. Also, if you're interested in guest hosting, please reach out to me on Twitter at MidSouthMoments and I look forward to speaking to you all again very, very soon.